Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 12, a podcast for woodworkers who can't justify buying an iPhone because it costs as much as a decent joiner by woodworkers who can't justify buying an iPhone because it costs as much as a decent joiner. I'm Mark Spagnolo, And I'm Matt Vandalis. I am so torn. I mean, iPhone, jointer, jointer iPhone, iPhone. Jo- Oh, man. <laughs> Tough choice. Domino, iPhone, oh. domino, iPhone. <laughs> it's not It's not fair. We're In a perfect world, we'd be able to afford all of it. You know, but, yeah, and unfortunately, the uh, the iPhone is not going to uh, plane down wood for you, so. Exactly, but maybe it could, I could call somebody who could do it for me, so there, that's one uh, little little <laughs> advantage for it, but, uh, there you, go. you know, but in a perfect world, you can, as a woodworker, get a hold of Mark and I, and you could maybe leave us an email or one of those fancy schmancy voicemails, and, you know, have a question question for us. Uh, I have a little feedback on something that you hear that we talk about or I completely slaughter, uh, which happens quite a bit. But uh, you can, if you want to email us, by all means, drop us a line at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, go over to woodtalkonline.com, where you can also just you know type in a, a comment, question, or suggestion. Uh, you know We can get your email that way. But more importantly, leave us that voicemail so I quit slaughtering things with my own special brand of English. <laughs> nice. Yep. And we, uh, we've been getting a lot more activity on the site, a lot more comments uh, in response to people's emails and things, stuff that we don't necessarily have all the answers for. So uh, it's turning into quite a wealth of information there on the website. So be sure to, uh, to check that out. Definitely. Uh, so uh, how's everything going in the shop over there at the, the Vanderlist uh, saw cutting station? Well, I don't know about the shop itself, but uh, we've been having some crazy stuff with the, uh, it's uh, the 4th of July here in the United States, and, yes. or it's heading into it, and we've yep. got a giant festival. Muskegon goes all out. We you know don't do anything else the rest of the year. We save it all up for this big, giant festival, nice. and Aiden and I just spent the whole entire day down there, uh, him riding rides and me wishing that I never went anywhere near those rides. <laughs> <laughs> They're death traps. Matt, stay away from them. <laughs> they are, you know. It's it's really scary to think that you know there's uh they're holding like you know five to six hundred pounds of people in the thing by a single cotter pin. <laughs> yeah, I I've got a healthy fear, healthy healthy fear of those rides. Oh yeah, you know then the centrifugal force kicks in, then lunch starts coming to get back up, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I just, not good I, all around. I've just always pictured myself becoming a projectile. Off of you know the tumbler or whatever the you know, some stupid name on the thing, but yeah, I, I just oh, never yeah. quite trust it. And I've watched Carnival on HBO. Oh and, uh, yeah, I know how uh, how those carnies are. So yeah, and you see, you need you need the healer guy to come back over and and, and you know fix you up when you go flying <laughs> off the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, whatever happened to that show? That was pretty good, and they just kind of cut it off. I know that's what we've been asking too. My wife and I were really really hooked on it, and that's every single year. I'm like, Ugh! no, it's not back. No, so, no, well, they're jerks. So, anyway, but what's going um, on the Spagnolo home? Uh, well, let's see. Nothing, you know, it's the opposite for me. Everything's going on in the shop and nothing's going on in my life. Um, oh. 
Yeah, we just finished the uh, finished up the armoire that I've been working on, putting on oh, a few. Oh, congratulations! Coats of, uh, oh, thank you. And there's four more where that came from. So, <laughs> uh, putting on the coat of tongue oil, a couple coats of t- uh, just pure tongue oil. So very simple finish in terms of actual labor. Uh, and I think on Monday or Tuesday we're going to actually do the delivery, which is really kind of the thing that's stressing me out the most because it's uh, it's going to be a good 300, 350 pounds and uh, not something that wants to be picked up. So we're going to have to roll it around on, you know, little mobile carts and and do our best to maneuver this thing into the storage unit that it's going to be put into. So wait, have you ever seen those like those forearm forklift thingies or like, you know, big straps and be like you get Nicole on one side, you on the other (laughs) maneuver that baby around. Uh, I think it might break our our arms off. Actually, it's uh, it's it's pretty heavy, but it looks easy in the picture though in the catalogs it does definitely <laughs> actually if i think for most pieces of furniture i think it would be pretty handy but this one eh, not gonna happen okay so uh but that's about all that's going on in the shop and um you know it's gonna be a slow week on the website and everything just because the the holiday's coming up and everybody's got uh you know four day five day six day vacations so uh hope you guys are enjoying it and hopefully you'll still be able to pick up this episode and sit back kick back with a little uh you know maybe a barbecue rib and and some iced tea or something and listen to the uh the wood talk online boys absolutely you know or when you're recovering from you know the gravitron that you went on today also <laughs> and the world won't stop spinning just pop in your uh, your earbuds and close your eyes and um pray yeah. there you go and, and make make sure you eat that barbecue rib after you go on the rides yes preferably because nobody wants to see it afterwards <laughs> no definitely not so so sweet yeah actually you know i did have one more thing this in, in the shop since uh-huh. i was joking around about the the outside the shop and everything which i probably should stay in the shop as of today but i I was working on, um, I mentioned last time that I, I got a bed commission, basically, that I was working on. And it's a rather large bed. And it's kind of funny because I've never really followed pre-made plans. And mm-hmm. this time, I actually am following some. So it, it's ironic because they're, they're very well spelled out. Everything's right there. And sure. for some reason, my mind, since I didn't create it, is having a hard time following the plans. It's really, really? Kind of funny. Yeah, I've, I've got like two sets of them. And I'll be like at my regular day job and on a break on, okay, no, I'm going to make 10 and A. And wh- what the hell is 10 and A? Where's that go? <laughs> oh, oh, it fits over here. <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing is I, I, I kind of draw an analogy um, between woodworking and music, especially when it comes to plans. There's musicians out there that are self-taught who can just improvise and roll with the punches and you can just jam with a, a group of guys that you've never played with before and you could just improvise and follow the, the path of, of, of the song that they're creating. Um, and then there are musicians who are completely schooled. You know, they, they know all of the theory and the rudiments, um, but they can't necessarily just sit down with a group of guys and jam because they don't have you know, the feel for the music. They can't improvise, but they could sure as hell play from a series of notes. And I think woodworking is, is, is much the same in terms of plans, where a lot of guys may get caught up in this cycle of, of using plans to build furniture, and it's hard to get out of that. It's hard to, to jam, you know, if you will, yep. with, with woodworking. Um, you know, whereas there's some self-taught guys out there who all they know how to do is improvise, and as soon as they see a plan in front of them, it's just totally foreign, and they don't really understand it or know how to work with it. So, um, oh, yeah. you know, not that either one is better than the other in terms of woodworking, but I think that the truth is getting a good mix of both is is what makes you not just a good musician, but then also a good woodworker. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think that's exactly you know, the thing is it's theirs are so detailed and so drawn out and mine are like, where the hell is that <laughs> napkin from BDW threes or something like that? <laughs> And that last one was at the uh, at the Dunham's uh, receipt. Where the hell is that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the fact that it is so organized is just absolutely throwing me off. Right. And the, the one thing about it is these there are these large tenons that I need to make that are gonna the, they're gonna take the like the headrails and they're gonna put them into the legs and everything. And I I decided all right. I was I could break out the router or I could try to set up you know, the table saw and so that part of me that says hey you're a hand tool dude why don't you try this uh, so I broke out the hand saws and tried oh, it oh man atta boy how'd it go it, it, I've had mixed results the nice thing is um, I'm, since I, I feel very proficient with my shoulder plane I kind of did some rough cuts and then that way I left a little bit of room in there to come back in and more or less just with a couple simple passes with the shoulder plane so far knock on wood you know, simple passes uh-huh. it's been it's been going pretty well. Um, it Good. definitely, if, if you looked at the tenons and you looked at the accompanying mortises, you'd be like, 
what the hell are these? <laughs> How did you make these with a spoon? But they work. They're, they're nice and tight, and it's definitely, I think, once everything gets in place, it's it's going to work out perfectly fine. I've really been, my dry fits are going fantastic. Good. And so I'm, I'm very impressed with it so far. But would I recommend it to somebody else? Um... How much time do you have on your hands? Basically, be my question. <laughs> well, it might be a fu- it might be a fun challenge, but obviously, if you got a bunch of them to make, may not be the most practical choice. Yes, yeah, not quite the most efficient thing in the world right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, All right. but uh, that's that's pretty much it. Hey, you know, I saw um, there was a link apparently that just came in, uh-huh. and uh, I don't know if you've seen this thing. It's a uh, it's a really cool video, kind of showing a recreation of Leonardo da Vinci's uh, like a lathe, or, like one of the original laths out there. Yes. And and this was sent in by JY. Did you? I think you sent me this. Uh huh. Yep, I did. Yeah, and this is a really neat link. So if anybody is really kind of interested in checking this out, because like we were talking about before the show, we don't really talk too much about turning, but I think this is definitely a really neat thing to check out, and uh, I'm yeah. definitely gonna be checking it out. And you know, as soon as I get the computer back up and running the right way. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's. Um. It's actually really cool. It's on. Uh... Uh, website that's uh, what is it Stuart King's website and we'll we'll put the link in the in the show notes so we don't have to say it here it's a little bit long but he goes through a modern uh, reconstruction of uh, Da Vinci's lathe uh, basically design and they show the sketch that he was working from and it's this gigantic wooden flywheel and a foot pedal and you sort of just get the momentum going uh, and this guy actually turns stuff on a thing. There's um, there's even a YouTube video on there to show you how oh, really? to do it and stuff. Yeah, and, and it shows it, him working with it. So it's really cool. But if you're into turning, well, even if you're not into turning, it's it's a pretty friggin' cool design. Definitely uh, <laughs> admirable that he would go through that much trouble. Uh, you just to like to see things spin around and spin around. I do, <laughs> I do. But yeah, it, it's fantastic. So highly recommend checking that out. Anyway, that's uh, let me just give you the address real quick in case you want to see it right now. It's uh, Stuart King, S-T-U-A-R-T-K-I-N-G dot C-O dot U-K slash articles slash Leonardo dot H-T-M. Sweet. That's a mouthful. <laughs> that it is. So, yeah, just look for the link in the show notes. Um, and we're also, just to apologize ahead of time, we did fall behind on the show notes lately. Um, and uh, as of last week, we should be pretty pretty fast with them and pretty up to date. So uh, Matt and I got our, our crap together here. So I think we'll be we'll be quicker in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, so sorry about that. Yeah, suck it up, people. Um, yeah, it's anyway. the holidays. <laughs> um, okay, we also had a really good article sent to us uh, by our good buddy Herman. Um, about It's actually about grounding PVC and other dust collection myths. That's the name of the article. Now, oh, I thought it was about bad children. I'm like, PVC? I mean, junior, <laughs> I can see, but... <laughs> <laughs> but this sorry, is... That uh, yeah, that was bad. Uh, <laughs> it's very long. It's very thick. It's very, you know, in-depth. And if you go through the uh, trouble of actually reading this entire thing, um, you know, there, there are some really good take-home messages in here. And that's, that's a common question for people is, should I use plastic? Should I use metal? Uh, if I use PVC, I, I hear that my shop is going to explode. Is that true? Um, I have PVC in my shop, and I, I've, I've read this article before in the past. And just from, you know, my own personal, you know, digging and, and research that I've done, if you want to call it that, um, I saw that there really wasn't too much of a, a major risk in, in running PVC as opposed to metal ductwork. Uh, so I felt comfortable with the sewer and drain stuff. And um, this article sort of goes into that detail uh, to show you that, you know, a lot of it is a misconception and a myth and that, you know, these sort of explosions are, you know, almost, I wouldn't say almost impossible, but extremely difficult to replicate in a lab setting when everything is perfect and the right, you know, mixture of of uh, dust is put together with the right ignition source, it's still very difficult to make that happen um, so that the chances of this happening in our home shops is, is you know, slim to none. So, oh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good thing because sometimes the PVC is the most easily available and cheapest route for us to go. That's exactly why I have it. It was right. a matter of uh, cost and availability. So, um, he does have a few recommendations here in this article and I'll, I'll, I'll rip through them really quick. And uh, again, the link will be Uh, in the show notes for everybody. Um, These are recommendations in order of importance. And number one, codes call for keeping the collected dust outside, uh, but this is not feasible in most home shops. However, while small, the risk of fire is associated with with the collected (laughs) dust is real. So the the real risk here, he's saying, is not the uh the sparking and and the the you know the material going through the tubes it's actually the pile of dust that's at the end of the road um, oh. that if a spark should get in there it can smolder and create a fire 
Um, okay. He said, I recommend that you empty the dust each day or at least keep the dust in a sealed metal container. Uh, this is not hard to do if you use a cyclone that empties into a metal can uh, that you can cover with a metal lid or empties into a trash can lined with a plastic bag. Uh, number two, codes call for keeping filter bags and cyclones outside. But again, this is not feasible in home shops. Buying low electrical resistance bags with explosive vents is also not feasible. However, due to the small size of home shop filter bags, the risk of explosion is extremely small. The risk of the cyc- the risk in a cyclone is much smaller than for a filter bag. Uh, if you wish to protect yourself from the electrostatic discharge hazard in filter bags, the easiest thing to do is use a metal cyclone with a metal bin and ground everything that's metal. Uh, and number three, codes call for grounded metal ducts, which are uh, feasible. That is actually is feasible in a home shop. They also call for explosive venting to the outside, which is not feasible. However, if you choose to use PVC ducting in your home shop, the risk of an electrostatic explosion due to the duct work is, at worst, extraordinarily small. From the research papers I've read, this is that guy, uh, this risk is essentially zero and is much less than the risk due to items one and two above. So uh, there's a lot of good information in this article that gives you just a, uh, you know, a little hint as to what, what it's going to go into, but um, you know, take it for what it's worth. It is an internet article, but the guy does uh, list some resources at the end and other scientific papers. So this is certainly one that I would give a lot of weight to. Right. Well, wait a minute. Are you trying to say that most internet things that you read or hear aren't necessarily true? Um, Unless it's coming from Matt's basement workshop, the wood whisperer or wood talk online, it should be suspect. Okay, because in that case, I would, <laughs> usually I watch YouTube. That's where I get all my news from. So <laughs> The latest news on YouTube, a 14-year-old girl is on a webcam. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> Not a good idea. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> all right, so um, we, we actually did get a bunch of voicemails, mm-hmm. and I got a new system of actually playing these voicemails here, so bear with me as I get into them. The first one here is... From, uh, again, our good buddy, Herman. And, um, well, let me play it for you. All right. Matt and Mark. I heard. Now, hold on a second. <laughs> Did anyone else hear the tone in his voice? It's, he was almost elated to say Matt. And then he, he says Mark as if uh, someone just stepped on his toe. <laughs> I only noticed that? I noticed the Matt part, so I wasn't paying much. I was like, "Oh, hey, I got a great listener." Well, that that won't uh, that won't be the last time you hear the disdain in his voice. Let's let's keep listening to this one. Okay. Matt and Mark, I heard you were desperate for voicemails for your show, so I'm graciously providing you with one. I'm Herman V, located in Vancouver, Canada, and my questions are: I'm currently getting ready to install a rigid dust extraction system, and would like your opinion on the following. What would you recommend for pipe used for the rigid system? Currently I'm settling on sewer pipe. How do I best get the fittings to work between common dust extraction systems and say sewer pipe? I currently have a 1400 CFM two bag vacuum system and I'm considering a cyclone. Any comments or recommendations there? Matt, Matt, keep up the excellent work on your blog. Oh yeah, Mark, you too. Um, th- that was hard to to uh, to to not notice. What, what's up with that? What did I, I don't do? know, but I I did notice that when he said sewer pipe, it was in the same level as like Mark. Yeah, so it was sewer, like, pipe, sewer pipe, Mark, <laughs> sewage goes through it. Mark, sewage, <laughs> dirty sewage. I don't know. Um, uh, I I don't I don't know. I think he's just <laughs> I think he's just busting them on me because I tend to be a little bit sarcastic with people. So. Um, that's the way I'm taking it. Definitely, totally. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to ban his IP in the chat room now. That's it, Herman. Ooh, it's, ouch! It's on. All right. Well, to answer your question, uh, Herman, the we we just sort of talked about PVC versus metal, and and you're the one who sent that article to us. So I think you probably could answer that question a little bit better uh, for yourself now. Um, certainly, no major issues, no major risk, unless you um, are really, really trying to avoid that little bit of static shock that you might get. Um, so if you want to use the sewer and drain, I don't see any reason why you couldn't. Um, now fitting the pieces together, you know, the, the thing that sucks about that is it's kind of a trial and error thing. Um, when I got my Clearview cyclone, um, it actually fit perfectly with, um, the sewer and drain pipe that I had, and it's designed to do that. Now, how it fits, if let's say you're going for a Grizzly dust collection system or, you know, an Oneida, uh, cyclone or something, um, 
I don't know for sure. What you're going to have to do is check the inner and outer diameters of the pipe and the inlet on those things and see how they match up. Um, you could probably find out ahead of time instead of going with the trial and error method that I always use. Um, but it's it's going to be tough. I mean, they're, they're not always meant to go together. So you may have to... Uh, you know, do some tricky fittings and get some cup, you know, couplers and things to put things together. Um, but again, just check the numbers. I'm sure they're on their websites and see if they match up to the materials that you have. Um, and just uh, recommendations on cyclones. Well, I like the Clearview Cyclone. They've got a couple different models now. Um, and you may want to uh, check out Grizzlies. I heard some really good things about that. And of course, Oneida has some great um, you know, small shop uh, dust collection systems and cyclones that you could look at. And I don't know, I mean, you could really get caught up in this crap and deciding which one's better, but honestly, all three are going to kick some butt, you know. Um, personally, I think the Clearview is the best bang for your buck if you don't mind doing a little bit of assembly. Um, but obviously, the other two have great reputations as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that would, the, the, you know, trial and error when it comes to uh, the, the more or less getting the, the fittings to match up, that's kind of what I look forward to when I'm setting up my dust collection system. It's, it's a game. Yeah, and it's so, it's not that fun. I mean, if, if everything yep. is consistent, you can design a whole system, and then the only oddball thing is how you connect it to the cyclone or how you connect it to a machine. Um, but again, it's all, all about the inner and outer diameter uh, ratings on those things and figuring out what those measurements are and if they match up. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So if, if, if you can do it in the first try, well, I don't want to talk to you. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. I mean, give yourself a good week, you know, to put that up because sometimes you'll, you go, ah, crap, you know, you almost got it, but you got to order, you know, a fitting that kind of expands it a little bit. So it's, you know, it's, it's not a big deal, but give yourself a little time to, to get the whole thing together. Absolutely. It always seems like the one thing I do is when it comes to trying to match pieces up, uh, it's there's one store in town. They're never open when I need them. And the <laughs> other store that's almost has things I'm looking for, the guy is still convinced if it doesn't hook up to a shop vac, what do you need it for? So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, we have another e uh, voicemail that came in, and uh -huh. it looks like we have uh, Rob, who uh, he more or less, I think, well, let's let Rob put it his way rather than me doing it. Hopefully he'll be nicer than Herman. I hope so. Herman, you're Hey, mean. Mark and Matt, how you doing? Great show. Keep up the good work. I just wanted to respond to your uh, question from the guy from the Netherlands with the spray finishing. Um, the new Best of Fine Woodworking book series has a book uh, entitled Spray Finishing and Other Techniques. Uh, I've read it. It's pretty good. Um, it's not complete, but it, it gives you a pretty good overview of all uh, the finishing techniques with the spray gun. So I just thought I'd let you know that there is a dedicated book to spray finishing out there somewhere. Hey, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll be listening. Thanks. Wow, that hey, went w way smoother than uh, <laughs> than the last one. And the that nice thing is, yeah, Rob had a nice feedback there, so that means that Matt's tired brain today from being spun around too many times with the Gravitron doesn't have to be <laughs> You don't have to say much. anything, Matt. You could just sit there and listen. <laughs> Who knows, though? Maybe that Gravitron actually snaps something back into place. So. <laughs> it could. Well, you're, you're just recovering from it, so you'll, you'll know better tomorrow. Right. All right, well, our next voicemail is from Alex, and uh, let's take a listen. Hey, guys, just a little heads up for you. Uh, I picked up some shelf liner padding from Costco to use on my assembly table for final assembly. I left a project on it overnight and uh, tabletop, and it sprayed three coats of lacquer on uh, curly maple. Last coat was done about two days ago, and the padding stuck to it. I mean, stock stuck. Little pieces of matting in the finish and causes little blemishes over the whole thing. Totally ruined the top. Sucks big time. I don't know what the padding's made of that caused the problem, but just a little warning. Anyway, seemed like a nice idea. Uh, well, I gotta get back to scraping, and I'm not happy about it at all. <laughs> anyway, you're the best. Wow. That sucks. <laughs> Ouch. I, I can feel his pain. I mean, yeah. seriously. <laughs> you can just hear it in his voice. It's He's at that moment where he just wants to go out there and, you know, drop trial and take a crap on it if he could. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, don't even get me started. That just, oh, that's a, a nightmare. Oh, well, man. <laughs> really, really sorry to hear about that, Alex. Um, you know, there's two things I found with that stuff. Number one, I had a similar experience with a mouse pad that I bought. It was a, a metal gaming mouse pad that had that sort of liner material on the bottom. 
And I don't know whether it's uh, because, of, you know, there might be some petroleum, you know, material left on there, but I've got a lacquered top on my desk that I'm sitting at right now. And uh, within about a week or two, it had left its print on, you know, the surface and actually stuck to the table. Uh, so I had to actually refinish it at one point so I could see, you know, exactly what he's talking about. Now on a larger scale, on a finished piece, wow, that is a real, real bummer. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, so I mean I guess uh, that's a good lesson for everybody is is not to uh to keep that any of that rubber stuff on finished materials. Um in addition to that, I've noticed and I've actually gone away from using those those as router pads because whenever I put a piece on there to sand, it's fine, you know, works, it's nice and cushiony, but when I flip it over and start to sand the other side. Now both sides are completely sanded. When I look at the piece that's touched the rubber, the rubber vibrates constantly as the sander vibrates the wood and it sort of digs into the wood and it's not necessarily leaving a mark, but I think the rubber is either adding a little bit of oil to the wood or something like, again, that whole, you know, petroleum product thing. Um, I'm not sure what it does, but it leaves the pattern of those little, you know, bubbles that are on that rubber mat. So um, I've actually gotten away from using those and I don't, I don't use them at all anymore. Um, believe it or not, what I've been using now and it works great is bubble wrap. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that, does, I, that wouldn't survive in my house. My kids roll that stuff out on the floor and damn it, I was trying to package <laughs> that up. What is wrong with you? <laughs> it's too tempting. It's definitely tempting. But when I get, you know, a shipment of something in, I'll save the bubble wrap and uh, I throw that down and it doesn't seem to leave. I guess some of it might have grease or something on it. So be careful. But um, the, the times that I've used it for sanding, it's been awesome. You know, it, it worked really well. It keeps it nice and cushiony when you're sanding. It's, it's, it was a pleasure to use. So, um, you know, take that for what it's worth. Give it a shot. But um, it seems like Alex uh, learned a very tough lesson there with his Costco shelf liner. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've done the, the same thing that you, you were talking about like with sanding and uh, yeah, everything. And I've always thought it was just the fact that I saw the pattern. And it's almost like one of those, you look at the sun too long, gets burned in your eyes. Maybe right. that's what was happening. No, but, it's definitely there. Oh, oh man. Alex, I, I, I feel for you. Um, Ouch. I, we should have a moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> moment of silence over. It's over. Okay, let's move on to Mike Moving now. On. Mike has a question for us, and he sent a voicemail in too. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys. This is Mike from St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Just want to tell you I really love the podcast and both your websites. They've both been a uh, huge help to me and those of us who are new to the woodworking experience, so I appreciate it a lot. Uh, with that said, my question is about hardwood selection. Since I'm still learning the craft, I'm just wondering if you could recommend some hardwoods that would be good to practice on. I want something that has uh, good workability characteristics but still low on price so I can practice my joinery skills without paying for the high-priced lumber from the lumber yard. Um, I've tried hard maple and walnut, and while those are good, they're a little bit pricier. So I guess I'm looking to make things uh, small household items, jewelry boxes, recipe card holders, uh, no furniture yet, but things like that. So I wonder if you can give me some recommendations. I know prices vary by region. But if you had some uh, hardwood ideas that are good to learn from without breaking the bank, I would really appreciate it. Thanks for your help, and keep those podcasts coming. All right, Mike. Well, you know, you're right. Absolutely. You mentioned it in your in your voicemail that prices do vary by region, so it's really kind of hard to nail down one specific one that would you know be cheap for everybody you know all over the place. For me, definitely a cheaper one is Poplar. It does work easy. Uh, and, and you know you can it's usually more inexpensive than many of the other hardwoods so that's one that I would recommend off the top of my head mm -hmm. one thing I was thinking is a lot of times I want to say it's woodcraft or rockler or both of them they seem to have like those uh, variety packs where you can kind of like they have like smaller little blocks or something that you can get these little ones that you can you can play with since Mike seemed to be talking about the fact that he's looking for like smaller projects around the home you know stuff like that obviously he wouldn't need a lot of wood so Mike maybe this would be an opportunity to try out a variety of hardwoods and in, in the in the term variety they're actually from the, what I've seen from the description from what I remember it's more or less really is a, a a surprise box basically you open it up you don't know what size shape and everything they're gonna be but if you're interested in trying a variety of them this might be your opportunity now sure. an, another thing I was thinking is that I know my lumber supplier that I go through uh, most of the time I should say actually uh, they'll advertise quite a bit that occasionally they get stock in that 
nobody in their right mind is going to want to use. That it's got a funny color to it. It's got a you know a fungus or something like that, and they're willing to more or less kind of sell it on the cheap just to move it out of the way. They were able to pull out what they could sell to sure. people that are really looking for it. So this might be another thing if you have a lumber yard near you that you know does this kind of a thing. I, I would check with them. You can always you know do something along the lines of that. I, I don't know about the mail order ones, but you know maybe sure. I don't know. We'll go from there. So. But other than that, really, I think um, I know Mark. You mentioned alder quite a bit, and I, I mm-hmm. have been looking at using that one because it definitely does look a lot like red oak, or you can make it look like red oak. So and that yeah. one's a lot more inexpensive than oak itself. Yeah, well, um, I, I would say for alder, um, I honestly I don't really ever try to make it look like uh, red oak, just because the grain is a little bit too uh, it's, it's a little bit too smooth and closed grain. So it, that one would be tricky, but. Um, for things like cherry, you know, making it look like walnut, you know, or mahogany, you can sort of get away with that. It takes the color very well. Um, you sort of do need to take a few precautions with the stain and, and to uh, avoid uneven absorption. But either way, it still works pretty well. It's very cheap. Um, it's a little bit soft, you know, so it's not going to okay. give them as much of a, a feel for what it'd be like to work with Babinga, you know, or, or uh, Hatoba or something really dense. Uh, but it will give them, you know, a better idea, let's say, than working maybe with some pine or something like that. Um, so I, I would like, you know, I would recommend Alder. Uh, you you also recommended Poplar. That's a great choice. It's still a little bit soft. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure how what the cheapest really good dense hardwood is that you can get. Oak comes to mind. I mean, it's not right. super cheap. You don't want to make crap and just throw it away. But, um, you know, maybe put some effort into it and make something nice out of it. Uh, but I think oak probably would be a, it's a good representation of an open poured wood. Uh, that's going to be very dense and very hard and give you a little bit of resistance as you push it through the tools. And that's going to kind of prepare you for a lot of those, you know, the really hard exotics and uh, some of the harder domestics, so, you know, like maple and, and white oak and, of course, now red oak. So um, those those three would be my recommendations. But, um, you know, sometimes there's just nothing like getting your hands on the actual wood. So that's where your idea is great. You know, cutoffs and uh, assortment packs are awesome because you can get your hands and, and learn the working properties of one particular exo- exotic wood without having to put a huge investment to get that piece. Absolutely. Either that or maybe find like a good friend who does a lot of woodworking with some stuff and go over and visit. And when he's not looking, start stashing. <laughs> He'll never notice that, that four foot piece of, uh, of Hatoba in your exactly. pocket. Exactly. Uh, all right. So we got another voicemail here from um, J-O-E-N-E. And he will let, well, let's let him pronounce his name for himself. Cause oh, I thought I was going to have to. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to disrespect his name. So. Hi, this is Juno from Belgium with a question. Working on a project with uh, plywood, I'm going to make 12 different sized cases. Um, if I add everything up, I come to about 30 square meters of plywood. Uh, since I'm working with waterproof version, which is quite costly, um, I don't want to make any stupid mistakes. Um, therefore, this question, is there an easy way to figure out how to fit all the different shapes and different sizes in plywood out of the big pieces? Uh, I've seen computer programs which are quite expensive and complicated. Or is the only way to do it with pen and paper? Or are there some easy mathematical tricks to do it? Thank you for your answer and looking forward to hear another Wood Talk online. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, well, what I've used in the past, if I've needed to go to the extent of a computer program, is Cutlist Plus. Now, they've got a free version, but of course, it's very limited. You could probably only... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
certainly just I don't even know what the amount of pieces is that you could do with it. But sometimes if you've got a project that's really repetitive, and it sounds like his might be, um, you may only need to figure out one or two pieces of plywood and then extrapolate that information over the course of however many pieces you need to make. If it's all the same parts, you could just figure out what the most efficient way to cut one sheet down is and just do that you know, 30 times. Um, so you may be able to get away with the free version. Um, quickly, it's at uh, cutlistplus.com. Um, then, of course, they have the purchased editions, the ones that actually cost money. Um, the cheapest one is 30 bucks, Not a bad price, but you are limited again. You can only cut 25 different parts. Um, so if you have 25 different sizes of plywood that you need cut out for this, uh, for this project of yours, um, that's going to be it. If you have 26, you're out of luck because it won't let you calculate that 26th piece. Um, oh. But, you know, again, if you break it up into sections, you, you could still get a very efficient cutting strategy uh, without getting it all in one shot In as far as this program is concerned. Break it in half or something. Um, so for 30 bucks, 25 different parts, you know, it's, it's called the LT edition. Um, that might suit your needs. And if not, of course, the price goes up if you want more parts and, and more features. So um, what they recommend as the basic for uh, hobbyists is their $89 version, the silver edition. Uh, lets you do up to 50 uh, different sized parts. So, you know, take a look at the website, see which one meets your needs. Um, maybe just download the free one and see if you can make that work for you. Um, otherwise, for me personally, most of my stuff, I, I sort of just do the pencil and paper method. Um, but I can see why if you've got very expensive plywood, you want to get the, the most out of every square inch of that uh, piece. I could see exactly why he would want to do something like this. Yeah, definitely. That's there, there's been many a times that I've actually played with that. We talked about that before, like the the cost uh -huh. of you know expensive uh, plywood versus the you know expensive uh, solid wood. And you know, we look, like we said you know it's the the two can almost be comparable. It's just your choice which way do you want to go. So yeah, you right. you, you want to look for something that's going to make the best cuts. And for me, it's always been paper and pencil. Um, and then on my break or when my boss isn't looking, spend many hours, <laughs> four foot by eight foot. Uh, right. <laughs> so the other thing I could think of, I'm wondering if woodbin.com, I'm, I'm actually, I went to the website right now, but I can't seem to find anything specifically for that. But that doesn't mean that I'm just not looking in the right, the right location. So woodbin.com, maybe they might have a link to some sort of uh, utility, uh, some sort of software you could download, but don't hold me to that, but at least you could maybe head over there and check something out. Sure, so, and if anybody has any uh, free suggestions um, you know, that, that he could use, uh, definitely post that in the comment section so, so he can get this done and not have to pay for it because it's the best way to do it. Absolutely. Free is very, very nice. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, I think we're done with our voicemails. But just a reminder, everybody, if you have a voicemail that you would like to send us or, well, you know, you could create a voicemail. You could go over to uh, woodtalkonline.com, click on leave a voicemail. And as long as you have a microphone that hooks up to your computer, the computer sees it, um, we, we can hear you. And yes, that indeed. makes our life a lot easier. Yep. So I say we move on to the emails that we received. And what do you say we start with this first one here from uh, Peter? Let's and this it. was kind of kind of a lengthy one, but I'm going to go right into the questions here. Uh, the first one: Are there uh, tools that you would recommend that essentially kind of cover all the the types of woodworking that you could possibly be doing? You know, is, are there certain ones that you tools that you would recommend, like a set, set of chisels, uh, low angle uh, block plane, etc.? Um, really, I think with when it comes down to it, a basic uh, set of hand tools. Uh, to me, really is is very very key, um, and more or less, I think you know. He mentioned the first two that I was thinking of, like a really basic set of hand of uh, chisels and a good block plane. Um, let's see here. Uh, I would definitely recommend like a really decent square. Uh, I think that's one that some people might actually overlook that because sure, yeah, yeah, because it doesn't cut anything. It doesn't you know it doesn't chisel anything out. Um, I think that that's a good one. Um, let's see here. I, of course, I would have to recommend at least you know some sort of uh, saw, and that could easily just be like a, a smaller like a flush saw. I mean, that would definitely work out and it'd definitely take care of a whole bunch of things, especially for many of you who are huge power tool enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see. Oh, how about? What, um, sorry to interrupt. How about no, a uh, a flush trim saw? Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's something. I mean, as a power tool guy myself, that's one of my hand tools that I could not live without. There's just so many times 
Um, you know, even even for things, if I'm fixing a little uh, flaw in a top of a piece of, of wood and I use epoxy to fill a knot hole or something and I've got that dried bubble of epoxy that now you've got to plane that down or sand it down, um, instead of doing all that stuff, the easiest thing for me to do is grab a flush trim saw and just a couple swipes and I knock a big chunk of it off and then I could just sand it and it's good to go. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you could easily then get into like some some people would consider like, you know, just a, a, a cordless drill to be a, a hand tool. I don't necessarily because it's hooked up to a battery, but I mean, that's right. something you, you, you power, need. Something power like hand that. tool. Yeah, power hand tool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's um, essential. Yeah, I mean, other than that, do you, you really. Oh, wow. See, I'm going to totally draw a blink here. Well, the thing uh, is, you can go in so many different directions with this, and depending on the type of um, you know woodworking that you do and the uh, how serious you want to get with this and how much time you want to put into it, it's, there's, this is one of those things where there are so many variables, it's very hard to give an appropriate answer, and hence, you know, we'll explain it after we're done with these questions, you know, yep. the, the real meat of uh, Peter's email here. Uh, yeah. but we'll, we'll touch on that. Yeah, definitely. So let's see here. Um, number two, are there any power tools or hand tools that you wish you had bought a long, long ago? For example, my Matt's new joiner. Do you wish you bought it sooner? You know what? I, I do kind of wish that I, I did buy it sooner. But are there any power tools or hand tools I wish I bought a long time ago? Um, let's see. Uh, the joiner. Oh, we already said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, as I, I think one of them that I probably really should have, I would have wanted really early on was it, my my table saw was the first power tool that I absolutely I I, I kind of did that thing where I, I got the entry level one first, thought that was fine, and then discovered it didn't do what I wanted. Right. So again, this is a to me very very personal kind of a thing. What type of woodworking are you doing? But you know, you you can easily go this route because there are plenty of uh, projects that I can think of that. I have the jointer now, but I didn't necessarily need the jointer. There was plenty of smaller things I did with my hand tools. So I could even yeah. go to a hand tool thing and say, like, you know, I wish I had gotten my number four and a half uh, smoother way earlier than I did. But at the same time, oh, you know, Peter, this is a really catch-22 the more I think about it. It is. It's... It is. Well, I mean, for, for me, I actually, I, I do, when, when I bought tools initially when I was first starting to, you know, stock up, I did exactly the opposite of what I recommend people do. Um, I actually got things well before I really needed them, you know? So I actually wound up having to find uses for the tools that I owned um, because as a hobbyist, you know, I was working a regular job and that was where my expendable cash went. Um, So I would go into a forum and I was one of those guys who would say, hey, you know, I've got this much money. What should I buy? You know, and it's like... um, Oh, you're one of them. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's, like I said, that uh, just a learning experience and the way I buy tools now is very different. Um, but I would, that's exactly how I did it. So I wound up with tools that I didn't necessarily have a purpose for. So I can't really, for me personally, I can't answer that question properly because I usually went the other way around. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking now one thing that maybe, um, I, I, you know, I, I could use a, a mortiser and that's one of those I should have bought a long time ago. Cause I like sure. to do a lot of mortise and tenons mm-hmm. and I, I have the type that chucks up onto the, uh, um, the drill press, but you don't. It's not the same thing. It, you're talking two different animals. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's it's a real pain in the butt, and you're really kind of limited with what you can do with the the specific one on the drill press mm-hmm. versus an actual dedicated mortiser. So right. if anything, that's one of those. I wish I had bought that a long time ago because my life would probably be a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's see here. Uh, let's skip over that one. Let's move on to. Uh, number four, are there any tools that you regret buying? Oh, are there any tools I regret buying? Uh. <laughs> um, it gives an example. Your Mark C clamp collection jumps to mind. But what about the power tool or hand tool that you haven't touched in over a year? Mm. Over a year? Man, I got a couple in my in my shop right now that have probably easily been <laughs> Five more <years>. than a <laughs> year. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, I, and I, I know I did a dedicated uh, podcast to this where I more or less kind of talked about the idea that just like with my clothes, if I haven't worn something in the past year or I look at it and there's like no way in the, you know, it's getting shoved to the back, I think it's time to move it on. Who knows? Maybe you could sell it and maybe even get money for another tool that you may not use. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, one comes to mind, we just talked about it, the, uh, the, that morticing attachment that I, I, I don't use it that much because of how much of a pain it is to set it up and then I don't get exactly the results that I really want from it. So there's right. definitely one. Um, I'm thinking of a, this could easily fall into the, the mindset of the, the like I said, with the, the 
the power tool. I bought the power tool that I thought was the entry level that I needed, but it turned out nowhere at all was it going to fulfill my needs. So that kind of, I like a router table. I, I bought this little miniature one saying, what's a router table? Router tables are router tables are router table. Right. They're not. They're, they're, they're definitely different. So yeah, hmm. I have uh, a router table that I, I definitely couldn't use. And I have a router also that it just has a quarter inch collet and there are so many uh, router bits out there that I can't use as a result of that. So sure. I had to then go out and purchase a second one just to be able to use them. Gotcha. So I think that falls in there. And I do have an assortment of hand tools that um, they're nice to look at, but I don't know why I thought I needed them. I have two mortising <laughs> chisels that I actually purchased because they looked so cool and I knew I was going to use them. And I haven't used them yet. They're still, <laughs> I think they have that protective gel on them still. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, that's how you know that you really didn't need that tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's funny. And it, you know, and it's funny too because it was there's I have plenty of clamps. Speaking like you mentioned your C clamp collection, that I have plenty of those that we actually have a um a, a a tool show that comes through town, sets up a tent, I kid you not, in the parking lot of the bowling alley at the end of the street. And they back up these pickup these semi trucks and it's almost like you're waiting for the cops to come in and bust up this ring or something. And they're <laughs> shoveling this stuff out. And I have bought many a thing when I was first getting started that I still today am like, why? Why would I even think that was what I needed? So that just oh man. Nice. <laughs> um, I would say for me, and I know a lot of people are going to give me crap about this, but the least used tool in my shop is my Dremel. Oh, okay. I don't use that for anything. And I, and I know, I mean, I guess guys who are into a lot of home repair stuff and, and cars, uh, things like that probably have a lot of use for it. But man, that thing is collecting dust and I don't think I've touched it in about three, maybe three and a half years. Right. Um, I always seem to find something better for the task. So maybe maybe it's just me, but I don't use my Dremel. Yeah, and how many tasks is that made for? But, um, yeah. uh, <laughs> but you <laughs> exactly. know, I think that that falls into that idea still of it depends on what it is that you're working, what, what type of projects that you're doing. Because right. I know you said in the past that you got started because it was kind of home improvement things. Yep. That's how I kind of got started. So there are plenty of tools that I can think of in the past that have moved out of my shop and into somebody else's by this point that were bought for that reason. Right. Uh, it was a single task thing that I was going to be doing, and I thought, oh, I'm going to use this every single task I do. And Right, no, right. no, it doesn't happen. So that's the way it goes. Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. Another question is: Are there tools that you wish you had bought the next size up when you bought them, or the next quality level up? Okay. This goes into that router that I, I referred to. I bought a router that had a quarter-inch collet only. I wish I had actually done a little more research and seen that you could get a half-inch, then pop in a quarter-inch collet fixture, so you could then two, two, two tools in one, basically. Sure. Yeah. Um. Let's see, uh, clamps. Yeah, I can think of a ton of them that I bought at that traveling store uh, <laughs> that, that I, I wish I had. A dovetail jig, actually, one of those. I had bought a really low-end one. Hate it, absolutely just want to drop kick it, and I think I ended up just giving that away to somebody who thought it was just the greatest thing in the world. So I agreed with them it was, and they could have it. So <laughs> um, that's it. <laughs> I would say, well, uh, to touch on your last one, I, I had the Rockler dovetail jig. I know they came out with a new one, but this was uh, one. I don't know if it's their first one, but it was an older one. And uh, yeah, that thing just made my life miserable. Um, I would also say my grinder. I've got a, a variable speed grinder, but I really wish I would have just gotten one that is a standard slow speed grinder because the only thing I really use it for is uh, sharpening tasks. Uh, and I would say the final thing would probably be my scroll saw. Um, I've got a little Delta scroll saw. It gets the job done, you know, but I, I wish I, you know, if I could do it again, I would have saved that money and invested it in a, a better model that would have been a little bit more, you know, that runs truer, maybe a little bit easier to, to change the blades and things like that. So, Okay. Okay. Now, the, his last one here is, what tools were of surprisingly high quality for the basic model, i.e., was it like a non-steric combination square from Lowe's, uh, pull saw from Home Depot, etc.? What were some basic value purchases over the years? This one, actually, the, the, the only thing that really comes to mind that I can think of that I have right now actually is a, uh, a saw that I, I purchased from um, a Home Depot or something. Uh -huh. I picked it up kind of on a whim. It was like, you know, oh, it was 12 bucks. It was on sale. I picked this thing up, and it's actually a Japanese pole saw, and I use this for my hand-cut dovetails that I do, and it is wicked sharp. It's wicked fast, and it was wicked cheap, and cool. I never expected to get the results from it. So that is 
you will come across them once in a while, but don't count on them all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would say for me, um, picked up a relatively inexpensive um, set of machinist squares. I think I got those from Grizzly a few years ago. Uh, that are dead on and just you know a go-to tool when it comes to setting things up. Um, and also, I think probably the best buy, like the best value I've ever purchased, is my oscillating spindle sander. Um, this is an older Ryobi model that they used to sell at Home Depot. It's got a little cast iron top and a plastic body. It's like a dark blue color. Um, I mean, the thing is amazing, and it was ninety-nine bucks. You know, I know so that one. Yeah, uh -huh. absolutely. I, I remember looking thing. for. Yeah, I went back to get it, and it was gone. And I'm like, "What the hell's wrong with them?" <laughs> yeah, they stopped selling it like literally two weeks after I got mine. So I don't know what the deal is, but what a great bargain for that thing. So definitely, that's one uh, one that I would recommend. But if that's if you could find it, I don't even know if they make it anymore. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, Peter's email was really interesting. I wish I could share this with everybody, but it's a little too thick um, for for the purposes of our show. Um, he went into detail on on discussing how. Everybody that is asked a tool question, no matter what show, and including us, um, answers you know that it depends. You know, if someone says, "What tool do I get? What set of tools should I use?" Our answer is always, "It depends," and that's not wrong. It's just not detailed enough uh, for what Peter is looking for. And he was hoping that um, you know someone one day would be able to sort of analyze this uh, in detail to show you know almost graphically. And he described using X, Y, and Z axes and. Um, having uh, d each axis stand for you know different things. For instance, uh, time and efficiency versus cost. You know versus, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's pretty complex if you really think about it. Um, right. And show how these things, as you go up one scale, does the other go down, and how does you know what's one tool that fits high on each quadrant? And it, it basically, I, I wrote him back and told him, I said, you know that's that's really like a chapter of a book. You know, that's something that you could really, you know, do a paper on. It's, it's pretty intense if you really start to think about it. Um, but the real trouble is it's going to be one of those things where everybody has a different opinion and with so many different types of woodworking and different styles and different types of woodworkers, this is almost, I mean, it's, it's too subjective, you know, so mm -hmm. that, that chart is going to change for just about every person out there. Um, so my recommendation is that's, I mean, that's the way he laid this out is really cool. And it's, it's really admirable that, you know, he's, his brain is working this way. Um, but I would think that, I mean, honestly, I think that's almost being a little bit too critical of it. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's safer to work in a, uh, like he mentions a just in time sort of, uh, method of choosing your tools when you need it that's when you buy it um, but there's nothing worse than spending you know oodles of time pouring through information on tools uh, stressing over which drill to buy you know yep. what I mean and I could see you know doing a little bit of research but they're all going to spin in a circle and put a hole in the wood you know so yep. it's it's not something that's really worth yeah I, I would just the point is I think your time is better spent uh, buying the tool and using it as opposed to analyzing and strategizing to get the perfect set of tools uh, simply because that doesn't exist. Right. Um, but definitely a very intense email, very good email. Right. And the way I look at it, Peter, is actually in the end, if I haven't spent all, wasted all my time buying these really bad tools, I'm not going to have great stories to tell my grandkids <laughs> who are going to try and run away from me because he's doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You've got to have your reasons. So. That's right. <laughs> okay, moving on. We have an email from uh, Jason in New York, New York. Um, he writes, he says, what is the best method to prevent rot on western cedar uh, chair that touches the ground during the summer months stored inside during the winter? Since it's end grain that's touching the ground, once the rot starts, it'll migrate up the chair leg, kind of like the way rust forms on cars. What should I use to seal the end grain? Maybe glue uh, some some scrap epay uh, to the bottom or coat the foot with epoxy, wood preservative, or even paint. Please help. Okay, so... Uh, the, my first instinct, I was just going to shoot from the hip on this one. And then I said, you know what? Maybe I'll do a little research. Nah, and, don't do uh, that. Shoot from the hip. Shoot from the hip. <laughs> well, I, the thing is, one thing I love about this show, one thing I love about what, what I do with the Wood Whisperer is all these questions force me to research. And I, I'm constantly mm -hmm. learning more and more in my own little toolbox of knowledge. So it's it's a great challenge, but I love it. Um, I got an article from the uh, probably a, a site that we all frequent plowandhearth.com oh yeah I've seen that definitely <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I haven't 
Um, but anyway, I, it looks like it's a magazine of some sort, but Plow and Hearth is the name. And they have this little article dealing with uh, woods for outdoor furniture. And, you know, first of all, I just want to say that he's already dealing with a rot-resistant wood. You know, so I think he's got the cards stacked in his favor. But let me read you a little excerpt from this article by uh, Vincent Lawrence that I found. Uh, he said, Woods work in two very different ways to resist rot. Some, such as redwood, cypress, and the cedars, um, contain chemical compounds that bugs and bacteria and other agents of decomposition find offensive. So they look for their meals elsewhere. Other woods, such as white oak and black locust, have physical barriers to rot, structures called tyloses or something like that. Uh, that fill the pores uh, within the wood, preventing moisture and the decay-causing creatures that thrive in moisture from getting into the wood in the first place. He says of the hundreds, he talks about other woods other than the domestic ones that are rot-resistant. Of the hundreds of tropical species, there are dozens that are well-suited for outdoor furniture. Uh, two of the most notable um, are teak and mahogany. He also mentions uh, balau, eucalyptus, ipe, Iroko, Jara, and Kempis, which I'm not familiar with. but Isn't that a band out of Japan? Uh, I think it is. I have that album, too. It's great. It um, he says, now these woods are also stable and rot-resistant, fairly hard and fine-grained. Uh, from the cedars to Kempis, uh, every, every one in between, it's exactly the same. So long as the wood is either, and this is what I find interesting, and I'd, I'd like to learn a little bit more about what he means by this. As long as the wood is either unfinished or treated with an oil finish. Um, for unfinished woods, which generally turn a beautiful silver or gray as the years go by, a light sanding with 150 to 180 grit once a year will knock down the fuzzy grain caused by rain and the snow uh, and eliminate any larger fibers that could cause splinters and generally give the wood a clean, smooth look. Uh, furniture with an oil finish should be sanded in the same manner once a year, then given a light coat of whatever oil the manufacturer or retailer recommends. So kind of interesting that he's you know, saying that a lot of these rot-resistant woods, it sounds like the implication is that they're better off being left to, you know, their own devices and not mm -hmm. actually being coated with something. Um, but to specifically answer uh, Jason's question, if it were me, I would coat it with something. I probably would use, you know, maybe even something as simple as just a, a linseed oil finish, you know, something with a linseed oil and maybe some marine varnish put inside, like epiphanes or something, a nice light varnish mixture. Uh, give the whole piece a nice coating. And then if it were me, I would epoxy the feet, you know, uh, putting putting a different type of wood. I don't know that that's necessarily going to offer you anything better since you're already using a rot resistant wood. Um, but maybe a, a piece of wood that puts the face grain to the ground instead of keeping the end grain of the um, what is he using? The red, red cedar um, mm -hmm. instead of having the end grain touch the ground. So um, but it's certainly I don't think it can hurt to slather some epoxy on there, let that soak up uh, and keep that as, you know, what's actually contacting the, the ground there. Right. Oh, yeah, that's, I like that that natural look preferably. I I, I sure, used, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, I used white uh, cedar a while ago, actually in, a, in our old house, I had built a fence. And the one thing that I really liked about white cedar is I, I'm, I'm totally one of those guys that it's like when it comes to finishing, I would rather have teeth extracted usually than doing finishing. <laughs> so, so anything that can save me a step from having to do it and using when, – so when I read this thing, read his uh, his letter, I was thinking, well, really you don't, you don't need to take those steps. But if I were to take a step, I probably would maybe do like the epoxy on the bottom. Sure. But yeah, that's the one nice thing is about certain woods like that. Like you had said from the article, there are certain ones that really you, you don't need to do so much to. That's They're just – naturally that way and right. if he's saying that he's going to take it out of the you know put it indoors during the winter month you're already kind of saving yourself a big step because obviously the winter months and uh, depending on what climate you're in or what area of the, uh, the country you're in yeah. um you know really it's you're, you're going to get a lot of moisture and everything yep. um so that's yeah i when it comes to certain ones like teak and, and cedar i pretty much i leave them the, uh, the way they are unless my wife says she doesn't like that graying effect Yep. So that that's the way I go. But I I, noticed, I went to that website and they've got a great recipe for apple crisp. So as soon as I'm done, <laughs> I'm downloading that baby. <laughs> Not to mention, you could also get Peggy's sugar cookies. I saw that. I'm I'm downloading that recipe as we speak. Enough <laughs> uh, about food. Let's, oh, talk yeah. about, let's talk about wood. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, that's I I I agree. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving cool. on. Cool. All right, we have another email here from Keith who says, Hello, guys. As of today, I have either received a curse or a blessing. Oh, that sounds like he just found our show. Uh -huh. um, 
when talking with my dad, he let me know that he was a power he has a powermatic planer and shaper that he said I can have. He being Keith, uh, they are both the green machines, and mm -hmm. I guess they are early '80s vintage. The planer has no motor, but the shaper does. Both have their share of rust, but seem to be in working order. If I clean these machines up and get them in working condition, do they compare in quality to the current machines by Powermatic or other comparable brands? I really have no use for the shaper, but yet I am mainly interested in the planer. Thanks, Keith. Well, Keith, that sounds pretty sweet. When I think of green machine, I think of that old like uh, Hot Wheels kind of thing from when I was little. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I think this of a vacuum like, cleaner. Isn't there a oh, vacuum cleaner? The green. Yes. Clean yeah, the green machine. machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, I didn't go. think about that. That's how much I don't clean. <laughs> um, but I think that's a, that's a really great find. You know, Keith. One resource I would recommend if you're kind of really kind of curious to see what other th people think about it, or if you're looking for parts or just information on it, is to head over to oldwoodworkingtools.com. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure to write a note to put a link into there because they have just tons and tons of information about you know old woodworking machines i mean it's right in the name of all sorts of makes models i forget how many total uh uh, manufacturers they have listed right now, but um, they could answer any and all machine all questions you have about what your machines can sure. do. I I really don't know anything about the old versions, and I, like I know too much about the new versions. Other right. than I I want them. <laughs> well, you know what I would say. I mean, this stuff's not that old. It's just from the eighties. Um, absolutely, keep it. I mean, this could save you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, you know, from buying this stuff new. And, you know, iron is iron, steel is steel, you know, and uh, a motor is a motor. So I think if the stuff was made good to begin with, it will probably still be good. Just give it a, you know, little TLC and get that puppy running and absolutely do not just give it away because it's old. Definitely fix it up. Old old iron is, is good iron as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Yes, sweet. <laughs> All right, so... Moving on to our last question of the day from our good friend, Ron. He's, uh, he's a local buddy of mine here. Oh, okay. uh, He says, hey, guys, just a quick question on veneers and a comment on the nail gun injuries. Remember the nail gun from the Oh, time? yes, I do. Don't want to think okay. about them. Uh, first, what's the difference between phenolic back veneer, paper back veneer, and uh, just a regular non-back veneer? Now he goes into his little story about nails. Uh, he says, second, I've seen three nail gun injuries over the years, two of which happened to a fellow coworker with less experience, uh, the same person I might add with a framing nailer, and the third was actually my boss with a finish nailer. The first two were cases of just not paying attention, and the third was somewhat of a freak accident. Onto the freak accident, while the finishing up, uh, while finishing up knotty pine balusters in a post and beam house, my boss proceeded to nail a baluster like he had plenty of times before, only this time the nail did have a mind of its own, and after hitting uh, some extremely tight grain or a knot, it proceeded to exit directly out of the side and into his thumb. Oh. Uh, moral of the story is it's better to learn from other people's injuries than from your own. Exactly Those are my right. personal favorites, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the way. You, you want to read about injuries. You don't want to uh, be telling someone about yours. So anyway, back to his question about veneers. Now, primarily when I work veneer, I, I work with, you know, just standard wood veneer, but I know the paperback veneer allows you a little bit more stability, a little more flexibility to wrap around things. And I haven't worked at all with the phenolic uh, back veneer, but I know essentially it gives you the, the same properties as working with like laminate material. So it's going to be a lot more durable and it's going to be something that won't necessarily take a curve as good as the paperbacked, um, but it's a little bit more sturdy. Than, okay. than uh, you know than you would get from the other types, um, and I do have another excerpt from a, an article here, and this is from Modern Woodworking, and uh, the article is a little bit deeper than just this issue, but they do go over some of the different types of uh, veneer technology. Uh, they say there's a wide variety of backers to choose from, making today's veneer easier to work with. For example, paper banked veneer is commonly used for profiling applications. Its flexibility makes it a good choice when working with tight corners. Phenolic backers have some flexibility but are mainly used for panels. It's the backer of choice for pre-finished veneers. Uh, and there's a quote by this guy, John McNulty. Uh, whether to use paper or phenolic back veneers depends on how the cabinet makers we supply process and install their components. For example, with a paper back veneer, we could press it here and then they'd be able to finish it themselves because we use PVA glue, uh, it's polyvinyl adhesive, uh, instead of contact cement, which can be reactivated by solvents and stained material. Um, he also says we should use a phenolic backed veneer if the cabinet maker has to glue up some show panels himself. We'd finish the material on a phenolic back, then he could cut it into size and glue it uh, in his shop or on site. 
Uh, he also says that the uh, they're offering a different. Now th- he says new, but I think this is an old article. I don't know exactly what the year is, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a backing that consists of craft paper that's impregnated with a polymer resin, uh, and it says that it's it's sort of between paper and phenolic backers in terms of thickness and performance. Um, it's not as flexible as the paper products, but it's a lot more flexible than the phenolic backer, and you sort of get that extra kick of durability. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a primer on uh, the differences between those three. But I think it, the average woodworker primarily is going to confront the paper-backed veneers and the standard uh, raw wood veneer. Right. Yeah, definitely. The, that phenolic, I'm, I couldn't even pronounce it. I'm like, oh, is that <laughs> yeah, real? Let alone, <laughs> let alone having worked with it. Honestly, I mean, and I do, I do a decent amount of veneering. I wasn't really familiar with the material. So I would guess that's because it probably has the most appeal in commercial and large, large scale panel applications. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. Ooh. So there we go. And I think that Sweet. just about wraps everything up for episode uh, 12. And um, well, we took a week yeah. off. So I mean, we, we've definitely still got a backlog of emails. And we apologize if we haven't gotten to yours, but we will try to get to them all. Um, we're going to focus a little bit more on features and answering a few emails and voicemails as opposed to just a, a giant run on show of, of uh, email and voicemail uh, Q&A session right. stuff. So Definitely, because we can definitely run on without even having to answer emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we tend to do that. We usually talk for about uh, a half hour before we even start the show. So <laughs> right, we try to we try to limit it, but it's not going to happen. People, so deal with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I guess so. until next time, you guys have a great Fourth of July and and be safe and uh, just hey, you know what? Fire up the barbecue, grab a, a cold one, whatever your beverage of choice is, and uh, relax a little bit. Take a break from the shop. Absolutely, and stay away from the Gravitron. But you can always, if you have to go on it and a thought comes into your head with a question, suggestion, or some feedback, you know where to get a hold of us. That's woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can stop by the website, woodtalkonline.com, where you could leave us a voicemail or send us a, you know, a comment, question, or suggestion there, I guess. Yeah, so sure. <laughs> until then, I hope uh, your 4th of July or whatever holiday you happen to be doing, because I don't know that many of them, uh, if it go- goes good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Absolutely. See ya. Bye-bye. Thumbs up for Mark and Matt. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.